Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add, one, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? <clears throat> For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, it seems that we are in a pandemic of worry. Lord, I pray that we, this morning we can put aside our worry and just come and worship you. Open our ears to hear your word today, our hearts to receive it. And Lord, help us to go out and just to continue to worship you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you, Sarah. A very good morning again to everyone. My name is Albert. I'm one of the pastoral interns here, and it's my privilege to bring you God's Word this morning. So in the um, early days of the pandemic, I remember one of the first times going to do a grocery run at Costco. I had a good mental picture of what to expect, put on my mask, put on gloves, to go in, get the stuff on the list, and get out. I had a clear goal in mind, but nothing prepared me to experience what I faced. and can be summarized in one item, it's toilet paper. Now, looking back a year later, it might seem that it's all crazy and foolish, 
But when I stepped into Costco, the Beltsville Costco, I saw carts and carts filled with toilet paper coming out. And then I began to wonder, do we have enough toilet paper at home? Can we last the shutdown with the amount of toilet paper we have? What if we run out and there's no more toilet paper? So my wonder grew into fear. And fear made me walk to the shelves where they keep the toilet paper. And when I saw the Costco workers literally throwing packets of toilet paper to whoever's walking by, my fear blossomed into anxiety. And after that, all I can think about is I need toilet paper. My family needs toilet paper. I don't care how much we have at home. So if you want to know, I went home that day without a toilet paper package in my cart. And I can't even remember if I bought everything on the list. Um, my goals were changed. So I shared that experience with you to say that fear and anxiety are very strong emotions and they affect our thought patterns. When we, when we experience fear and anxiety, they lock us in, they make us obey. They have a strong potential to change our orientation, distract us from our original goal at hand. Sometimes it's so strong that it can even change goals themselves. Well, in Matthew 6, 24, that Sarah just read, Jesus is quite clear. We can be only devoted to one master, either God or something else. We cannot serve both God and something else. As the beloved, those who God has called to himself and adopted into his kingdom, Jesus calls us to be devoted to God alone. But even as our goal is to be devoted to God alone, because the world is broken, because our hearts still suffer from the influence of sin, fear and anxiety are real and present dangers that seek to distract us, to disorient us, and to disable us, and to obey them instead. Fear and anxiety have a knack to draw us away from living as the beloved. So here, Jesus wants us to evaluate our anxieties in light of being his beloved, because living as his beloved, if we're honest, it's not easy. Anxiety can be a real hindrance that might ensnare us if we're not aware. So today, I'll walk us through the passage in three parts. What's the problem? What do we need to be reminded of as the beloved? And how are we to respond as the beloved? So let's start with what's the problem. So before we hone into the problem, I think it's a fair question to ask. Is all anxiety in the Bible bad? Is there such a thing as good anxiety in scripture? When Jesus says, do not be anxious, does he mean that we should stop from being anxious altogether? Is the life of the beloved to be characterized by a worry-free attitude without a care or concern about what goes on around us? Some might have heard, let go and let God, sit back, enjoy the ride. I think you can see where this is going. There's good anxiety and there's bad anxiety. So first, let's start with good anxiety. The same Greek word used here in Matthew 25 that's translated as anxious is also used elsewhere in the New Testament. However, it's translated a little differently. In other places, it's translated as concern or care. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul shares how Timothy is 
genuinely concerned for their welfare. On a more personal level, Paul shares that his anxiety or care for all the churches are because of the daily pressures he experiences for the churches. On a broader corporate level, the word is used to exhort each member of the body to care for another member. So this verse shows us that there is a positive form of care or good anxiety, one that is directed towards desiring God's will to be done because of one's God-directed posture, living out the life of the beloved in care and concern for the other. Bible scholar D.A. Carson goes as far as to say that the absence of such worry or anxiety is irresponsible. Our experience in life would also tell us that when a decision is weighty, when there is a lot at stake, when the way to move forward will take a lot from us, when the moment is momentous, deciding on which high school or college to apply to, contemplating leaving a job for a new one, deciding on marriage or weighing the mortgage, a healthy dose of contemplation and mulling is a sign that we are applying due care that fits the weight of the decision. Here, I'd like to pause a moment before we go into bad anxiety to acknowledge that medical advances have helped us to be aware and know more and more about clinical anxiety and depression. We know that in any given group, about one out of 10 members of our community, family, suffer from clinical anxiety and depression. The causes of clinical anxiety and depression are highly complex from chemical imbalances, trauma, environmental exposure, among others. And the effects of clinical anxiety and depression can be immensely crushing and painful. If you're here this morning and you have been living with clinical anxiety and depression, please let me be clear that clinical anxiety and depression does not equate to the bad anxiety that we'll be talking about this morning. Instead, please hear that as God's beloved, because of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, there is a certain hope for a new day when all things are made new. A day where there will be no more suffering, pain or tears. But even as the suffering is very real before the day comes, please know that as God's beloved, Jesus walks with you and grabs your pain because he too walked the road laden with suffering. And God has surrounded you with the community of the beloved whose task is to walk with you in love. You are not alone. The problem that we're dealing here this morning is bad anxiety or bad anxiousness. It is the anxiety that is found in the passage that was read this morning, Matthew 6, 25-34. It is an anxiety that all of us have experienced to varying, to varying degrees, and none of us have been exempted from in life. So what's this bad anxiousness or bad anxiety? It is when a concern is given more than its proper due, and it draws us away from living as the beloved. Do not be anxious can also be heard as do not be unduly concerned. It is a care or concern that has no proper merit or no proper place because it distracts us, it disables us, it disorientates us from living our goal, living as the beloved. Therefore, take a look at Matthew 6.25. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is not life more important than food? The body more than clothing? God has given us things that matters the most, our lives and our bodies. Will He not care for what He has given? But instead, we can get unduly concerned about the needs of sustaining and caring for our lives and bodies to the extent that it distracts us from living as the beloved. What does unduly concern look like? It looks like investing most of our time, physical and emotional energies and effort in meeting our needs or our perceived needs and disregarding living as the beloved. Perhaps you are a student and you seek to learn and do well in school. That's all good. Because you want to do well, you start to spend an inordinate amount of time trying to secure the grade you seek and disregard an opportunity to maybe help a friend or a chance to see that if you can meet a need in the household. Every quiz or test becomes a life and death situation. If I fail, the world will crumble, so I cannot fail. That's unduly concerned, pulling you away from living as the beloved. Perhaps you are working hard to save for a big purchase, a car, a house, that's all good. You start to think, if I just put in a little more this week, I can get there faster, or maybe I could expand my budget so I can get a better car, a better house. My housemates or family would definitely appreciate that. I could invite more people over. Then after a couple weeks, you begin to find yourself being more agitated when your housemate or your family asks you for help. Or maybe with your community group because they always seem to want to meet you. Or with your church because they all are always asking for help. Can't you understand that I'm doing this for your own good, for all our good? That's unduly concerned, pulling you away from living as the beloved. What are the ways of bad anxiety? Bad anxiety persuades us, it lures us, and then overwhelms us and drains all our energies and resources, leaving us defeated. Jesus captured it best in the parable of the good soil or seeds, where the farmer scatters the seeds, the seeds representing the word of God, and the scattered seeds fall onto four different kinds of soil. The seed that fell onto the thorns, the soil filled with thorns, were choked by unduly concern, a bad anxiety about the world and its riches, and proved unfaithful. Why is bad anxiety bad? Bad anxiety is bad because it pulls us away from seeking what's important to God. It stops us in our tracks and makes us obey instead. Friends, if we're honest, left on our own, we have a tendency to get these anxieties mixed up all the time. Because of our fallen and broken nature, all of us experience good and bad anxieties to varying degrees, and it's terribly hard to differentiate at times. For example, even as I was preparing this sermon and preaching now, there's some good anxiety because I want to be faithful to the passage, faithful in preaching. Yet, if I'm honest, there's also an undue concern about my reputation, whether or not you like the message, whether or not I'll get likes or angry emojis up here. Because I'm such a mixed bag, 
The very fact that Jesus addresses anxiety in Matthew 6, 24-34 actually brings me great comfort. Jesus is acknowledging that the challenges of living life as a beloved and is reminding us how we are to live life as the beloved. He knows, he understands our condition, and he wants to speak into it. So what do we need to be reminded of as the beloved? If we were to paraphrase Matthew 6, 26 to 27, it might be something like this. Jesus is saying, you are my beloved. And because you are my beloved, I got your back. I got your six. I got you covered. At times it may not seem like it, but really, I got you. Your job is to keep walking with me. Look at the birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. They are not unduly concerned. The seed eaters will still have to fly and look for seeds. The carrion eaters will still have to fly and look for carrion. The fish eaters will still have to hunt for fish. And I know all these uh, nature facts because Tim Burley introduced me to the game Wingspan. And your heavenly Father got them all covered. And guess what? You are my beloved. You are more valued than birds. I got you covered. So go study. Go work. And your heavenly Father got you covered. Sometimes it might not seem like it that things are going the way you want or hope for, but trust me, my intentions are good and I have other means at my disposal. Because I got you covered, being unduly concerned is a waste of your time and emotional effort. Trusting our sovereign God who has our best interests in mind and knows our needs is immensely freeing and liberating. It's like a young toddler who is not afraid to try to walk, tumble, fall, get bruises, because she knows that when she stretches out her hands, she knows that you'll be grasped by a pair of loving hands. Friends, if we take a step back and ponder for a moment, Jesus who spoke these words at the start of the book of Matthew will suffer the torment of beatings and public shame and die on the cross by the end of the book of Matthew. He sought God's will perfectly all his life and died. You might ask, why didn't God the Father keep his beloved son safe, prevent him from the torment and the terrible form of death he experienced? Well, scripture tells us why. It is because for us to be his beloved, God needs to deal with the punishment of our indifference, apathy, and sin towards Him. God the Father did not keep Jesus safe because He desires to adopt us into His kingdom. He desires to adopt us as His beloved. If God will go to, the extent, to that extent to welcome us as His beloved, how much more will He care for those His Son died for? Before we move on, on how we are to respond as, as His beloved, there's a final golden nugget here that is easily glossed over. It is captured by the phrase, O you of little faith, in Matthew 6.30. I take comfort in how Jesus calls His disciples, O you of little faith, because that's me. And I hazard a guess that's us. 
because we get our, all our anxieties mixed up and place our security in things that creates more anxieties. Jesus uses us this phrase repeatedly in the book of Matthew on his disciples, so we're all in good company. The phrase, O you of little faith, acknowledges our brokenness and our dependency on Jesus. It acknowledges our weakness and our tendency to succumb to anxieties that hinder us to live our lives as the beloved. We need to be reminded that, as pastor and writer Paul Tripp said, to quote, even though we are weak, imperfect, short-sighted, we are secure. We are secure not because we have control or understanding. We are secure for one reason and one reason alone. God is our Heavenly Father. Jesus calls us to the reality of our condition and calls us to do business with it. So how are we to respond as the beloved? Towards the end of the passage in verse 33, Jesus moves from the negative instruction, do not be anxious, to the positive. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these will be added to you. What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness is to live the life that characterizes his beloved. What does this life look like? It is a life that is wholly devoted to God. It is a life that we seek to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength in all areas and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It is a life that is characterized by allowing God through his word and his spirit to shape our perspectives on our needs, our wants, our desires, our ambitions, our prejudices, our stubbornness, our politics, our relationship with others, and of course our anxieties. It is a life that is oriented by God's agenda captured in the Lord's Prayer, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You might ask, if we do this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, will God really cover our needs? Isn't there a hint of idolism here, prevailing over reality? Friends, at this juncture, it's helpful to notice that when we read this passage, because of the times and culture that we live in, we see it speaking to us individually. What's helpful for us to note is that this passage is actually meant for us corporately, as a community of beloved of the beloved. It is meant to be read, heard, and applied in a community of the beloved. Scripture never assumes there's such a thing as a lone Christian. That's a modern day construct. And the beloved is always in a community. When we approach this passage corporately as a community, we begin to see how much we need the community that God has provided. So how does being in a community help? Well, first, we need others to help us sort out our anxieties. Earlier on, I brought up how difficult it is to sort out our good and bad anxieties. God has designed the community of believers to help us work this out. Yes, it will take humility on the receiving party's part and grace on the giving party's part, but that's a picture of real practical love for one another's broken faith. So back to the toilet paper example. I needed someone in my community group to say, hey Albert, I really think you're getting ahead of yourself and God here. Look at the birds. I needed a knock on my head. 
Secondly, we are God's agents to meet each other's needs. Corporately, God has given each member of his body gifts, talents, skills, experiences, and has called all of us to carry each other's burdens. So I'm always encouraged by all of you who see the need and jump in to join in meal trains for someone who just had a baby going through a difficult time of illness or loss. What you are doing is being God's agent to answer the prayer, give us our daily bread. You are helping the other member experience what it means to not be anxious about things that God will provide. So I'll not talk more about the code drive because Brandon has brought it up, but I'd like to just re-emphasize that that is another avenue for you to be God's agents in answering that same prayer. Friends, sometimes because we are so individualistic in nature, when we face a real or perceived need that is poised to overwhelm us, we forget that God has resources in the body that we belong to, the community of the beloved, that we can and we should tap into because we are family. So, when the real drought of toilet paper happened somewhere last year, in the middle of last year, I remember one of the members of our community group made a comment that they were running low, real low. That evening, a pack shows up in their doorstep and they never, didn't even order it. God has connections and he's not afraid of using them. On a more serious note, some of us here might be uniquely trained and experienced in counseling and are especially positioned to help those who are working through anxieties. Perhaps there are ways for you to use your training and experience in this area. Just so that everyone knows, we have a DMT fund that's available to help you or people you know access counseling help should you need uh, or should a physical need arise. You can access the link uh, through our weekly email updates or on our website. Friends, for some of us, being God's hands and feet come really easily. But instead, we find it challenging to ask for help or receive help. I come from a culture that finds it terribly difficult to share our needs or ask for help because of the perceived shame that it brings. It's pretty complex. If you want to know more about it, you can talk to me after service. However, I think this passage encourages us to allow others to be God's hands and feet to minister to us. If you notice someone who is struggling silently, be proactive in lending a listening ear. Should it be appropriate, a helping hand too. So, in conclusion, we circle back to the start. Jesus has called us to be devoted to him as his beloved and to cast all our anxieties on him. He's got our back as we journey with him. How has he got our backs? He's got our backs by placing us in a community and giving us one another to meet each other's needs. Even as we pray, give us our daily bread and here, do not be anxious. Realize that that is a call for us to be God's agents for one another. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your graciousness and your mercies. And we thank you, Lord, for calling us, Lord, to you through the death and resurrection of your Son. We thank you for giving us your body here at the church. 
Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet for one another as we are ministered to by Christ and your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Albert. Uh, we're going to be responding uh, to that good word that Albert just shared with us uh, in song. Um, would you stand? We're going to be singing, I Am Not Alone.